I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. We're coming to you from the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley, California. podcast for June 27th, 2014, and today we talk about the possibilities of combining Shin and Zen practice. So, uh, it's been a while since we've recorded anything, but uh, and it's been a while since we actually received the following uh, question. I guess it's actually several questions. Um, so, uh, thank you for your patience, um, and it's good to be recording again. Um, so, the question we received is, um, is it possible to combine Jodo Shinshu and Soto Zenshu practice? Uh, in Jodo Shinshu, can one chant the Hana Shingyo, Kanon Gyo, Kanon Daishi Dirani, um, and with a Mukugyo? And the final question is Does Tariki require Jiriki and vice versa? So, one, two, three, go! Yeah, there's a lot of questions. You might have got it. There's maybe even like three or four questions. There's, yeah, there. at least. Um, and implications to these questions. Right. So, I think um, to, top, to, to begin to tackle this issue of is it possible to combine um, Jodo Shinshu and Soto Zenshu practice? And I don't think there's one answer. Sure of, there is. Eh, it depends who you ask. <laughs> um, well, I think um, the questioner is asking you. Well, I, technically us, but... <laughs> right. I mean, I, on one level, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> right? Right, um, I was going to say, you could, you know, can you combine two sets of practices? Sure, of course you can, but um, that may or may not be what the uh, institutional, quote-unquote, orthodoxy says you should do, I guess. Right, so there's also the institutional question, right, of um, if you're part of one institution, uh, is it okay or possible to do these practices of another institution? So I think that's kind of another, another way to look at it. Um, another way to look at it might be internally, doctrinally, right? Within the doctrine of, like, just so just reading Shinran, for example, could you incorporate Zen practice into, uh, into, um, into that? What's the difference? The institution isn't necessarily um, exactly equal to, like, the doctrine or the writings of the founder. Right? It's based on it, but the institution has a lot of uh, interpretation, subsequent interpretation by like Renyo or whatever, or the current Monshu or um, 20th century scholarship or whatever. And, it, and you know, I don't think that there is only one um, orthodox position, even if they might want, want to portray it that way. Um, but I, I think that's a kind of a slightly different take on it, um, so that I don't have to have anything to do with Nishi Honganji, but could still find myself um, very much um, appreciative of Shinran Shonin's thought and um, trying to follow what Shinran Shonin taught without necessarily having anything to do with what the institution thinks, right? Um, and obviously they're related, mm -hmm. um, but I don't think they're the same thing. I okay. don't think they're equivalent. Yeah. I'll let that one slide. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I'm going to think about it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're here for, right? Think this stuff through out loud. Okay. Um, so maybe the institutional one is the, the obvious place to start. 
Um, well, the institutional just seems easy. Like, not that, like you're saying, not that you necessarily have to listen to everything an institutional authority figure says about how you should practice in whatever you know school you're in, whether it's Jodo Shinshu or Soto or you know Tibet or China or whatever else. I mean, it doesn't you know to me it doesn't you know there's no just because an authority figure says hey you should do X doesn't mean that you necessarily have to do X or you can never do X and Y doesn't mean you can't. Um, right. <clears throat> so there might be a in sort of institutional prohibition against combining these two kinds of practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then from that, you go to the doctrinal point. You know, if mm-hmm. Nishi Honganji says don't do X, what's their doctrinal justification for saying that? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't focus only on the doctrine, though. I would think that the ritual side is another aspect where it might have nothing to do with the doctrine but be very ritual-based um, in terms of what people are doing as opposed to what Shinran said about it, right? Um, that there's that, that's not equivalent either to me. Um, so for example, all right. for example, this um, talk specific, um, so we're talking Nishihonganji, um, I'm an ordained minister of Nishihonganji, Kaikyoshi in Buddhist Churches of America, uh, and so uh, we're taught very specific things of ways to chant, I mean, so part of the Jap- the background is Japanese Buddhism and how the different schools um, kind of stake out their own territories. So I think that Japan is very much, um, since Tokugawa period at least maybe, um, where there's kind of very strict definitions or, or, or um, boundaries between the different schools. And one way that they do that is maybe how um, you're expected to hold the nenju, the beads, juzu, Right, the um, the um, counting beads. Mm-hmm. Um, different schools have different ways of holding them. So that's one way that different Buddhists in Japan may kind of um, identify themselves. Oh, I'm this school because I hold this nenju in my left hand, and it has a certain kind of string. It doesn't have pom poms. Um, when I put my hands together, it points down and not up, or I don't put it between different fingers and stuff. So like, there's even different ways to gasho to put your hands together. Right? And so different schools like might have um, shinshu, it's just the hands flat against each other. But other schools, it might be with the palms kind of separate um, and, and kind of pointing out. And we're not supposed to, I remember hearing at one point, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to have your hands together, the palms together. Right. So even just in the way you hold your hands, maybe certain, there might be a kind of a prescribed way to um, do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I think general membership gets much less of that. But when you get um, trained and ordained as a priest, it's really emphasized. So when you sit, you're supposed to sit a certain way. You're supposed to have your knees um, a certain distance away from the strip that marks off the separate tatami. Um, you're supposed to put your hands, your, let's see, left hand on top of the right hand. Um, with palms facing down when you're sitting, like they tell you how to hold your hands, mm-hmm. um, where how to hold your feet, um, what degree, how many degrees to bow. Um, different times have different kinds of bows and different um, depths of bowing. Um, the way they read characters is different. So like the same Chinese character may be read and pronounced differently in different schools. So one example is Honen's work that in Nishi Honganju we call Sen Jakushu, 
but Jodoshu, or at least one of the Jodoshu um, branches, calls it Senchakushu. So one is pronounced with a J and one with CH, right? So all these different ways of kind of delineating your institutional background um, against others. So I think a lot of the issues um, in one sense can be kind of seen in this light. So, um, so one of the questions is, how about with mokugyo? Can you chant with a mokugyo? So mokugyo is that wooden, um, what's the, it's like a percussive instrument, mm -hmm. like a wood block kind of, but it's round and hollow. Um, and literally it means wooden fish. And if you look at it, it doesn't look like a fish, but if you look at it, you can kind of see where it came from a fish kind of shape. And we're not supposed to use it. I mean, I think that's partly where the, the question is coming, right? That in, in Shinshu, when we do our um, chanting, so liturgy, no mokugyo, right? We can use setaku, the two wooden wood blocks that are struck against each other, um, maybe a taiko, um, but, but we're, mokugyo is not part of the picture. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's kind of one answer is like, what are the institutional rules? And I think from that point of view, the answer would be no. <laughs> You're not supposed to do soto practice with shin practice. Um, and and I, another issue, I think, is what do you mean by practice? Do you mean meditating or sitting in a certain way, or do you mean the rituals? Right? Um, and, and in terms of the um, ritual side, another thing we do when we get ordained is we have to memorize and recite this um, priest's creed, soryo no kokoroe, the, um, the creed, or, or um, can, yeah, creed is maybe the best word. And um, I, I don't remember the whole thing, but part of it is I will not perform the rituals of another school, right? So, um, so you're kind of like making this oath that as a Nishihonganji Jodo Shinshu minister, I will not perform the rituals of another school. I don't know if that means I can participate in them or if it, you know, I can participate, but I can't go up and pretend or, or act like someone from a different school. Mm -hmm. Um, so so th that to me is kind of what I think of when I think of the kind of institutional perspective and that the institution does have these kind of guidelines maybe where it's, it's going to say, it's, it's not like you're going to be excommunicated if you accidentally <laughs> get caught seen sitting like in a, in a Soto temple or something like that. Um, but it seems like from a certain perspective, and this is more from the ministerial perspective maybe, um, but that there are these kind of prohibitions or rules about not performing practices mm -hmm. of other schools. Um, and this came up 10 years ago, maybe, in a big way in, in Shinshu, was the issue of uh, meditation. Are we allowed to meditate? What kind of meditation could we do in Shinshu? Or, you know, you say that like that issue went away. I, don't, I haven't heard that much about it lately. I remember it was such a big deal like um, <laughs> at some point, like 10 years ago or so. <clears throat> Yeah, that's a whole other story. Yeah, <laughs> but but you know, that, that that issue of um, meditation is it is it possible? And that may come from a more doctrinal point of view, also, right? So that's that's kind of to me a, a slightly different issue than the institution. Yeah, I think maybe we're splitting hairs there, though, because regardless of whether we're talking about, I mean, I don't know. It feels like we're splitting a lot of hairs between things like ritual and practice, and you know, don't get me started on that. Well, that's my thing. Um, <laughs> Getting me started on things, no. <laughs> splitting hairs. <laughs> but I guess my the the larger point or the the other point that I wanted to make was, regardless of what the institution, regardless of all these rules, and regardless of whether we're talking about 
doctrinal differences or um, issues of practice or ritual, I guess when I what I really wanted to just to sort of get to was what's the justification for those differences? What's the justification for um, certain prohibitions or certain rules, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I recognize that you know, a lot of the justification for this is completely arbitrary and possibly unsaid. You know, mm-hmm. why do we hold our hands a certain way? Well, that's, we've always done it that way. Um, you know, there is no formal reason for that. Mm-hmm. But in some cases, there are a formal, reason, for, formal reasons for that that may or may not be what you're talking about when you say doctrinally justified, but for lack of a better word, I'll use the word doctrinally justified, mm-hmm. just in terms of the way that... Um, the institution or the tradition has interpreted other texts or other doctrines mm-hmm. or whatever, which is something we should talk about. Okay. One, two, three, go. <laughs> <laughs> no, you go. <laughs> I'm just raising the questions, man. I got no answers. <laughs> mm. So to, to, since we're being specific, you know, you're, you're talking about... Um, the minutia uh, of <laughs> everyday um, activity that that you know I think affects primarily uh, ministers or or priests or whatnot, and but it certainly has an effect on um, the the greater population of, of members. Um, but the questioner is also talking about uh, specific practices slash rituals um, specifically whether or not to chant a particular ah right 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 a particular text right like is it okay for a Jodo Shinshu member to chant the Heart Sutra mm-hmm. that's a very specific kind of question that's great yeah yeah um, I forgot and that. you know if the Honganji says no you can't do that why you know I mean mm-hmm. when we're talking about how you hold your hands or where the tassels go on the Nenju you know, I would be totally the the inner anthropologist in me would be totally fascinated to know what their justification for that is because mm-hmm. that's really weird. Because <laughs> well, that's the way it's done. I, yeah, I know that's what I'm saying. But you know, and they're in the, the institution may have come up with some sort of you know after the fact justification for why we sit in a certain way or why we you know whatever. Um, but when we're talking about whether you know which texts are sacred in this tradition, there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. There's a there's there's been some thought, some justification for why this text is okay, but this other text isn't. Um, you know, whether we're talking about the Three Pure Land Sutras or the Heart Sutra or the Lotus Sutra for Nichiren or you know whatever else, people thought about that and mm-hmm. came up with some sort of reason why this text but not that text. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, text can be used in different ways, right? And so I'm thinking of. I, you know, and I think this goes back to China of the kind of ranking, at the very least goes back to China with the ranking of different texts, right? And different um, schools kind of developing around certain ranking systems, right? So Tiantai, um, it says Lotus Sutra at the top, mm-hmm. right? And um, Flower Garland somewhere lower than that. Whereas Flower Garland school is safe. No, Flower Garland at the top and with these other ones below it, right? So, so there's definitely like in terms of doctrine, um, text is really important, right? And certain texts are valued over others. And in um, Japanese Pure Land with Honen and then Jodo Shinshu with Shinran, um, the three Pure Land Sutras are kind of the three texts that are um, held 
pretty exclusively going back to Shandao, at least. Right, so so Pure Land, Shinshu anyway, and you know Japanese Pure Land、um, is coming out of a tradition where the the orthodox proper texts were identified back in China, right? And the others are said to be thrown away, sort of, right?、Um, so <laughs> Shandao, and you know, saying with、um, his selection and rejection. So that's the whole thing. Was sent actually. I didn't mean this when I brought up Senjak Shu, but the whole thing is selecting,、mm-hmm. right? And that this whole rhetoric in、um, the Senjak Shu is about selecting the proper things, rejecting the rest, right? And that the three Pure Land Sutras are selected, other texts are rejected, right? So that's what I meant when I said that there's a reason why these texts and not those texts because somebody thought about it. Hunan sat down and said,、mm-hmm. "Shan Dao is right. We're only going to select these texts and not these other texts."、Mm-hmm. That's a conscious decision. Right, 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 right. You know,、um, what you know. There's a, another level of、uh, logic there, right? I'm sure Honan sat around and thought about it,、mm-hmm. <laughs> and came up with some reasons, and then that becomes codified. That becomes、mm-hmm. doctrinally orthodox.、Mm-hmm. So, no, sorry, you can't chant that. <laughs> right, from a certain point of view,、um, and th- actually, there's an interesting thing because. It's not only the three sutras. They actually say the three sutras and one treatise, which、mm-hmm. is the treatise on the Pure Land by Vasubandhu, the Jodorong.、Um, but we actually chant a whole bunch of stuff in Shinshu, right? And、um, uh, here in the BCA, we only chant two or three things. But in you know in the the extensive liturgy, there's a lot of stuff that we chant, including passages from Shinran, passages from Shandao, passages from maybe other masters even. And one of those is Junirai. Um, the twelve、um, exhortations or twelve bowings or whatever you、mm-hmm. want to call it, but it's interesting. Junirai has a very liminal status、um, because it's not included in the the codified the Shinshu Shogyo Zensho, the like early twentieth century codification of the the our scriptures. It's not in there, and yet it was chanted.、Um, so there's this weird text that,、um, and in America, was chanted a lot apparently. Because、um, it has melody, that's the one that's keshu tenin shoku yo. So it, it has melody instead of being monotone. So I think it was popular over here, and it's in the chanting manuals in Japan too, like the the、um, practice books.、Um, but it's kind of not accepted as an orthodox text. So that's a place where like the chanting of it is okay, but it's not like a kind of ex- orthodox part of the canon. So that's kind of one interesting place where, where、um, in practice it's used,、um, but it doesn't appear in the collection of texts,、mm-hmm. um, and it's Nagarjuna. So、um, Junirai is, is attributed to Nagarjuna,、mm-hmm. right? So, so that's one place where there's this kind of disconnect. This kind of,、um, to me,、um, to me, fascinating. Probably to like everyone else, really boring or, or, <laughs> or、um, obscure, right? But this where like doctrine and practice are kind of different. Right? Well, like, yeah, of course they are, and yeah, duh. So, <laughs> so anyway, but, but、uh, yeah, anyway, that's just one example. I, I like that example though because we don't realize that it's not kind of accepted in a certain sense and yet chanted,、mm-hmm. right?、Um, and actually, there are BCA ministers that、um, I think it was really popular for a long time, and then some ministers felt like it's not a sutra. Um, and it's not Shinran, so we shouldn't chant it. So they stopped chanting it.、Hmm. Um, 
because of this these status issues kind of thing. These these um, they're doctrinal, but they're yeah, in that sense, it's doctrinal, but it's directly related to practice, right? Um, yeah, well, I mean, that's yeah. I I don't I don't want to create the false impression that there's a some hard and fast like barrier between doctrine and practice, because mm-hmm. um, that's there's there's a relationship between doctrine and practice. Mm-hmm. Um, there always is. Now, I think getting back to that rejection issue, though. One of the in, another interesting thing about Shinshu is I think it I've heard it's the only Japanese school that doesn't chant Hanya Shingyo. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think they do it even in Jodoshu. Um, Zen, obviously Shingon, like maybe all the other schools chant Hanya Shingyo. I know they do in Tendai, um, but Shinshu we just don't. Mm-hmm. We never learn it. We never study it. Um, we're able to. It's like it's it's very. Um, I never studied it in my whole IBS right. career. Uh-huh. In Japan, you never study it. All the rest of the Japanese Buddhists are chanting it. They're copying it. You can get it on a tie. Um, you know, it's just this very like <laughs> ubiquitous text, except in Shinshu, mm-hmm. which is interesting um, and maybe relates to this question. And so, again, from the kind of institutional point of view, I think the answer is no. You're not supposed to chant Hanya Shingyo. Yeah. So why? Um, we're not deal- We're not a wisdom school. Tanya Shingyo is a wisdom text, right? It's it's breaking it down and it's it's um, pre- preaching the emptiness of all dharmas, mm-hmm. right? That's Shinran never talks about that stuff. So if you want to go doctrinal, um, that would be my reason, the, the reason I would guess. I mean, I think we should learn about um, the wisdom side of, of Buddha um, to a certain extent, um, but if you look at Shinran's writings, it's rare that he talks about it, other than as something other, something out there that's beyond our understanding, inconceivable, right? Whereas Hanya Shingyo kind of um, is totally talking about it, right? And then giving you a mantra or some kind of darani, mm-hmm. right, that encapsulates it, right? So, so that's another kind of practice aspect maybe of the, the um, Hanya Shingyo, right? This darani of, of um, perfection of wisdom, mm-hmm. right? Um, and... I mean, that goes off, you know, Namo Amida Butsu, is it a mantra? And um, Shinshu, I think, says, no. We're not dealing with mantra here. We're not dealing with Dharani. We're dealing with the name in yeah. the vow. It's like a different mechanism, mm-hmm. right? So we don't do anything with Dharani or mantra either, um, whereas a lot of the other schools, no problem. Right. Well, that's very unsatisfying. Oh, really? How come? <laughs> go so, go so. Why? What if I want to do a Dharani? I mean, you know, what if I want to do something besides... Shin practice. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Throw me a bone, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you said I'm not going to get excommunicated, but so that's fine. Too late. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a liminal status. My status is very liminal. <laughs> I mean, I guess the, the deeper, the, uh, and perhaps this is more to the fourth question about Tariki and Jariki, but the, um, the deeper question is, um, I don't know. I mean, we could sort of answer this question from a doctrinal point of view, from a historical point of view, from an institutional point of view. You know, um, it's easy to come up with reasons why you should or shouldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not just in Shin Buddhism. I mean, I'm sure that if we were, if this was a Zen show, we'd be having the same conversation about something else, right? I mean, you know, it's easy to come up with a list of do's and don'ts in any particular religious tradition. Um, but I guess the the sort of deeper question is. Uh, you know what's at stake, I guess, hmm. 
one way of putting it. Like, you know, uh, I'm not quite sure how to answer, ask this question, but it's almost sort of like uh, if I were to engage in practice X, is there some bad thing that would happen to me kind of question, mm -hmm. right? Like it's not so much uh, sort of a, what are the consequences of doing certain practices, um, both positive or negative, right? Mm -hmm. um, sort of soteriological or uh, ontological kind of questions, metaphysical mm -hmm. questions, right? Like. Yeah, uh, you know, presumably, you know, presu like we were talking about the difference between ritual and practice, right? Uh, or you mentioned that there's, you know, these two different words. And uh, one way to look at that would be the question of whether or not ritual or practice has any effect. And this is something I mm -hmm. think we've talked about, like probably in our magic episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in our magic episode, um, it's magic. <laughs> you know, whether or not Buddhist practices. All the episodes are magic. <laughs> what are you talking about? Hey man, I'm on a roll. <laughs> Right down over there. Uh, whether or not Buddhist practices or rituals have any effect, right? Do they actually do anything? Um, and I think we, the way we talk about Buddhism in sort of popular discourse is just to assume, oh yeah, Buddhist practice works. You know, like meditation works. It has some positive benefit. But the flip side of that is, are there practices that don't work? Are there practices that have negative consequences? Or um, if not, does this practice have negative consequences for everyone are there circumstances in which you wouldn't want to engage in a particular practice because it's dangerous? And I think this comes up in uh, a, lot, a lot of uh, uh, mikyo, right? Mm -hmm. Tantric. Um, yeah. yeah. So if you aren't properly initiated, it could be damaging. Right. That's written yeah. in the front of books sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So there's that question too. It's like it's not just you know the sort of doctrinal no, don't don't chant Hanashinyago because mm -hmm. you know it's. It's, we don't do that. It's, yeah, you know, it's, it's a wisdom text. Ah, you can't do that. But also, well, what if I did? Mm -hmm. Right? What then? Mm -hmm. What are the consequences? What's at stake? So that's another order of conversation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I'm making any sense at all. Yeah, and it's interesting because in Shinshu, I think ritual is kind of reinterpreted. Um, and so I think that in Shinshu, that ritual efficacy aspect is kind of negated. Mm -hmm. We don't do rituals to try and change the world. That's an improper understanding of ritual, an un, un, uh, improper use of ritual. Um, and uh, It's sort of a fundamental paradox, right? In Shin Buddhism, right? Like what mm -hmm. you're saying, we don't do rituals or we don't do practice to change the world. And yet at the same time, we sure do a whole lot of stuff Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We still do ritual, but it is reinterpreted, right. Yeah. And so some people, it's very easy, I think, to read Shinran as saying you shouldn't do any ritual at all. Mm -hmm. And yet here we have this tradition that's steeped in ritual. Yeah, making right? sure your nanji yeah. beads are the right way. And you're right, 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 right. Sitting at the proper distance and mm -hmm. whatever else. I mean, you know, like, come And on. Shinran doesn't say anything <laughs> about that stuff. Almost nothing. Um, so that's, and that's to me where this... Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it is, it's really kind of mind-twisting, right? Um, asking or trying to look at ritual in Shinran because we don't have any, we have very little mm -hmm. um, record of like the ritual that Shinran did. We mm -hmm. only have clues, um, no um, real direct evidence. Um, but yeah, I think that um, kind of going back to the question too, I think a lot of it depends on the motivation of the person doing it too. Um, and are you, if Q 
can you be fully committed to both traditions, maybe? I mean, this, you could take this to other traditions, too. Can you be a Christian and a Muslim? Sure. As, as neither a Christian or a Muslim, I'm in a perfect position to say that. <laughs> <laughs> right? And yeah, I mean, I think of Roger Corliss, right, who um, was a um, teacher at... Um, Duke, I think. Duke, and then Before he um, came had in. moved out here, <clears throat> and um, expert on Tan Luan. And um, I went to his house once. He was very honored to be invited to his house this one time. And he showed a, he had this um, meditation room, and he had a like prayer section, and like, he had all these different stuff. He was, I guess, Houston Smith would be another, um, who um, kind of acknowledging the validity of all these traditions and practicing them all. Right? Yeah. And you know, so I'll pr- I'll pray to Mecca six times a day, um, and I also pray to God and accept Jesus as my Savior, and I'll meditate. And you know, so so there are some people that that take that um, viewpoint that um, you know, yeah, that's all open to me. I don't. Mm-hmm. There's no. It's all these just different paths up the mountain. So I'm going to do all of them. <laughs> right. Good. We started on that. Uh, <laughs> right. Um. So that's kind of part of where this question is leading to. But I may I, I don't know maybe I, possibly, you know I don't possibly. know the I don't know the the, the questioner so I wouldn't want to um, I wouldn't presume to judge uh, their motivations in asking the question the asking whether or not you can combine two forms of practice that come from a Japanese Buddhist context mm-hmm. is something qualitatively or quantitatively different than asking whether or not you can combine a half a dozen different major world traditions that come from vastly different cultural places and locations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's something it's the same, but different. It's maybe it's just different. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's, I think it's easier to do the world traditions than the Buddhist ones. No, I don't No, I disagree. I, I think it's really hard to, to reconcile some of the fundamental differences between Buddhism and Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, you have to recognize that, they're ta- that they might very well be talking about very different things and mm-hmm. be incompatible. And you know, you can reconcile some of the sort of practice things. You know, on a, on one level, right? You can sort of say, oh, "Okay, I'm going to meditate while praying to God." Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go down that path far enough, eventually you get to you know, the inherent emptiness of the universe, including God, and how do you reconcile that with God's infinite grace? I mean, there are points where things start to no longer... Just do negative theology. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Oh, good. Because we ran out of time. 